Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Exodus 21. We're going to get into a weird passage here, and so uh, I've got a word for those of you. If you've had an ox that has gotten out and gored somebody, this is your word today. Um, It's kind of strange, and in looking at this, sometimes when you get into the law of God, you look at things and go, how do I preach this? How do I uh, take this and put this into 21st century American context? And uh, yet, we're going to do that today. Because there are some things I see in this passage that I see as building blocks to a society, at least a sane society. And I look at these things through the eyes of a 21st century American, and I look and say this one thing, our nation is in a mess. Luke Garrett, the first time I ever heard Brother Luke sing, I heard him uh, in First Baptist Dallas. Sammy and I were members there. I was going to school at Criswell College. And uh, I was leading the music for our chapel services. And so I got to meet Brother Luke way back then. But I also heard him on the radio. And he had a song that was uh, quite popular on Christian radio. And it said, if I can remember the words, The time has come that we, the church, should leave the comfort zone. We've depended long enough on government to keep us strong. We are the fiber and the conscience that has built this land. And the signs will tell us that the final judgment is at hand. And the chorus said, there's judgment in the gates and there's only one solution. The conscience of our country is the church and not the state. There's judgment in the gates. Let us hear the words he spoke. For Jesus Christ is America's only hope. And that song came out and got airplay in January of 1986. How many of you were alive in 1986? Say amen. Would you agree with me things have changed drastically since 1986? And yet that song being true is true today as we think about what it is that America deserves what it is that our society and our culture deserves, and yet we find so many people becoming apathetic when we ought to be passionate. We find so many times that people kind of bend to the culture and go along with the culture instead of standing up against the culture in love, in grace, in mercy, but nonetheless in opposition to the way this world is going. You and I were on the broad road leading to destruction, going with the crowd on our way to hell. And God in his sovereign grace and mercy has chosen to take us and turn us around and we are on the narrow road. We are going upstream and sometimes that's difficult. And you and I have insight that the rest of the world doesn't have. You may be the most brilliant person, the most brilliant politician, the most powerful man or woman in the nation, maybe even in the world. 
But if you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't understand his word, the Bible has one thing to say about you. You are a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, right? And so you and I must take wisdom that God has given us. It's not our own. It's not anything we came up with. It's not because we're better than anyone else. It's because we go to the word of God and we find principles to live by, wisdom to live by. And we must proclaim this wisdom and we must live by this wisdom and we must again be salt and light as we uh, live in the culture that God has placed us in. We don't live 50 years ago, we live now. We don't live 500 years ago or 200 years ago, we live now. We don't live in the time of the founding of our country. We live in the time where our country's foundations are being destroyed and where there is a sinful rot that is taking over and things that were unthinkable even 10 years ago are now considered normal. We've got to get back to what God said. And so the reason that I say that is God was, in what we're going to read, establishing Israel, giving them a foundation, and giving them some sanity as they related to one another. And God has something to say in this, not only to them, but to those of us who live these thousands of years later. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Exodus 21, and let's start reading at verse 28. Okay. You ready for it? Found it? If you have, say amen. Good. Okay, it's going to seem weird. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. How many of, that, how many of you got blessed by that? I mean, that, that tells you what, what you need to do when you go home, right? <laughs> I get a little aggravated at my ox sometimes, don't you? <laughs> now look at verse 29. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been made known to his owner, and he, the owner has not kept it, the ox, confined so that it has killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. That'll make you want to keep your ox in order, won't it? Think about what he is saying. The importance of human life. Verse 30. Now, if there is imposed upon him a sum of money... And I would take that to mean that maybe the elders of the village or the tribe or something said, okay, we'll, we're either going to stone you and the ox because you knew better and you should have kept him confined, or we're going to fine you. And uh, I would be happy to pay the fine if I were in that. So if there is imposed on him a sum of money, a fine, then he shall pay to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. Verse 31. Whether it has gored 
a son or gored a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. In other words, where other cultures would say maybe that a daughter is not as valuable as a son. And so if somebody's ox gores your son, well, then you're really going to pay. But if it was a daughter, no big deal. Notice how God elevates both of them to uh, the same standard, a son or a daughter. And it says, according to this judgment, it will be done to him. Verse 32. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Verse 33. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. There's responsibility here. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. In other words, you can butcher it and put it in the freezer. Verse 35. If the man's ox hurts another's so that it dies, meaning another ox, they get into a fight, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it. And the dead ox they shall also divide. So both of them get a freezer full of meat. Verse 36. Or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in time past, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox. And the dead animal shall be his own. Well, what in the world are we supposed to do with this? Well, this has been a couple of weeks worth of prayer. What do you want me to preach? And what principles can we draw out of this? Because I don't know of anybody in our church that owns an ox. I don't know of anybody in all my years of ministry. I've never had to have two church members come in and say, his ox killed my ox. What are we going to do? We don't have those kind of things. But in principle, in principle, there are some things here. And the first thing that I notice is that you have to acknowledge the existence of God if your society is going to work, if your relationships are really going to work, if there's going to be any sanity in the way that you operate. When I look at this, I'm reminded that it's God that is speaking. It's God that is giving the law. It's God that is telling them what to do. Human nature, being the depraved nature that it is, doesn't want to follow through on anything much. And it doesn't want to do anything to make things right. It's your problem. If I hurt you, if I insulted you, if I did something that has wronged you, that's your problem, we say. We don't really worry about that. And yet at the same time, in our culture today, we get offended over the silliest, silliest things. And we don't know how to handle problems anymore. We don't know how to talk about things. We don't know how to work things out. And I think that's because we in this nation and in this culture have forgotten God. We've abandoned God. 
and we have done even worse. We've rejected everything about him and we pushed him to the side saying that we can handle it. And the truth of the matter, when you look at our families, when you look at our lives, when you look at our society, we're not doing a good job with anything. And so when you think about the existence of God, we all believe that here today, but we need to think about it and its implications in um, the, the country in which we live. In our Declaration of Independence, it says that we are giving, given rights that are endowed by our Creator. Our founders at least, at least believed in the existence of God. In fact, the very Word of God, the Bible, begins with four words that change everything. In the beginning, God. And when you have that, then everything is different. You've got accountability. You've got authority. You've got all of that that you understand. We're not just living for now. We're not just living for the moment. We're not just living for ourselves. We're not just living for our family. We are living for God. God has authority over us, and God is the one to whom we must give an account one of these days. Now, back in 1963, the Supreme Court decided that prayer in school was uh, something that could not be tolerated, and so it was taken out. Have you ever wondered what that prayer was? Have you ever wondered what it was that the school children were praying that was brought before by Madeline Murray O'Hare before the Supreme Court that was so incredibly offensive that it could not be done anymore? It was simply this. Almighty God... We acknowledge our dependence upon Thee, and we beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Oh, I'm offended. Aren't you? How horrible. Horrible. How in the world could we expect a society to function and our children to function when they must acknowledge God before they start their school day? I look at that and I go, that's kind of a to whom it may concern prayer, isn't it? Doesn't mention Jesus. There's no real doctrine in that prayer. What in the world were they offended by? And yet I look at that and I see the devil has always worked to get man to think that he is the ultimate, that he is God. In fact, at the tree, what did he tell Eve? God knows that in the day you eat thereof, you will be as God. And that's been man's quest ever since. And even in this is the idea that there is no God, or if there is, it's me. I live for myself. I live and everyone else ought to cater to me because I have this God-like feeling in my heart and I'm going to live the way that I want to live. I'm going to be sovereign. I'm going to be the ruler. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And everyone else has to see it my way and bend to my way of thinking and be under my authority. And so when we look at our country, we look at a whole lot of people that are like in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And here today, in this land that once the Puritans thundered out, no king but Jesus. 
We look around today and our country is saying, there is no king, there is no God, there is no sovereign. We will do what we please and we bow before no God and we bow before no altar. And look what's happening to us. Everything, everything is falling apart. And so when we think about that and we think about Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Can you think of a nation that has been blessed so greatly and yet lives so foolishly? We don't even know whether we're boy or girl. We don't know what marriage is. We don't know what's best for our children. We do what's best for ourselves. And we don't really care about anything else. We live where crime and uh, uh, all kinds of corruption is the norm. What in the world is wrong with us? Well, we decided there is no God. We became fools. And therefore, our decisions became more and more and more foolish. Now, who's going to do anything about that? Well, it's not going to be the president. It's not going to be Congress. It's not going to be a governor. It's not going to be a mayor. It's not going to be a court. It has to be that the people of God stand up for what they believe and quit being ashamed to be a child of God. And we've got to proclaim the fact that there is a God and that God is the one to whom we are accountable. And so you think about all of this, and you think about uh, Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You can't even get Christians many times to praise God. You can't get Christians to speak up for the glory of God. Well, brothers and sisters, if we don't speak up, then who is? And if we are concerned about the direction of our nation, if we're concerned about the state of our families, then we have got to realize that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. So I want to ask you, how wise are you? And the way you evaluate that is by looking and saying, to what degree do I have the fear, the honor, the reverence of God in my life? Far too many of us, we come to church, we put in our time and we say, I've worshipped, the rest of the week is mine. No, it's not. Your life belongs to God. Every moment belongs to God. You are accountable to Him and you are to honor Him in everything you do, wherever you might be. And that's the only hope that America has. It's Jesus Christ and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder they try to shut us down. No wonder they try to shut us up. And they haven't been able to shut us down yet. But I think they've done a pretty good job of getting us to shut up. Let's witness. Let's be bold. Let's be loving. Let's be kind and merciful. But let's be clear that there is a God. And the only way to know him is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Secondly, I want you to notice that human life 
and animal life are different. Well, there's a revelation, isn't it? But our culture doesn't get that. Our culture will do commercials with sad little puppies in cages that we've got to give billions of dollars for to take care of Fluffy and Fido while we abort babies in the womb and hold it up as a virtuous right. Think about the irony of that. Think about people that will hug a tree and kill a baby. Think about what kind of a sick society we are. Or one of the most unsafe places for a baby to be is in its mother's womb. Beloved, it ought not be that way. Something is wrong with us. In fact, I would even go so far to say that among a lot of people, especially radicals, the life of a tree is considered more important than the life of a human. And all of this stems from the fact that we said there is no God, so there must be another explanation besides creation. And what is it? Evolution, random chance. We are just accidents. We are just highly evolved animals. And our life, well, we're just lucky to be here and lucky to have the life that we have. But our life is no different than the life of a weed the life of a dolphin, the life of a dog, the life of a cat, or, as we see in here, the life of an ox. What has happened to us that we have forgotten what the Scripture says and the truth of the Scripture, that it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we think about uh, the creation of God in Genesis chapter 1. Or in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Yes, trees are alive. Yes, dogs and cats are alive. But it is not said of the scripture that God breathed himself, his spirit, into them. And yet that's what's said of Adam. Adam became, as the King James Version says, a living soul. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Your soul is who you really are. This is just your body. This is just an earth suit that you have, Paul said, like a temporary tent when you're camping. The real you is inside. And the real you was made by God. And the real you is in the image of God. Even if you are lost and an atheist, you are still made in the image of God. Marred though it may be, still in the image of God. And so God has given us a different life and a different way of looking at life. All that stuff about killing the ox and all of those things... What are they doing? It is God saying human life is what matters. Animal life is different than human life. So whenever you start thinking about all of these things and you see people that want to throw it all together and put it all together, you stand and you reject that because we are made in the image of God, like it or not. And human life is sacred whether it's somebody who's 90 years old on hospice 
They ought to be treated with dignity and respect. Or whether they are a baby in their mother's womb, life is sacred and the sanctity of human life must be upheld or our society falls apart. And we're fools to live like that. Thirdly, I notice from this passage that rights are given by God. Rights are given by God. I can't go to a specific scripture that says that. But the principle is clear throughout the word of God. God made us and God makes the rules. God tells us how we treat one another. God tells us what society is supposed to be like, what nations are supposed to be like. And these rights are given not by government, not by the Constitution, but they are given by God. We worship Him. We were created by Him. He is the one who makes us free. He is the one that has given us the rights that we have. And it's the government's job to recognize that and to promote that and to protect the rights that we have. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. We worship him because of who he is and we live the way he ordains for us to live. We don't bow at any other altar. We don't pray to our Father who art in Washington. We pray to our Father which art in heaven. Number four, freedom, and this seems to be the thrust of the passage we read, freedom requires responsibility. Responsibility. You're not just free to do anything you want, anytime you want, with anyone you choose. You're to be responsible. You're to be careful. You're to be honorable in everything you do. It's not freedom to do what you want that always leads to slavery. It's the freedom to do what you ought. The freedom to do what is right And that's what liberates us and keeps us free. When you think about responsibilities, think about we are free to do what we do, but also that requires that we take consequences of our choices. Just like we read about the guy that digs a pit and doesn't cover it, or the guy that has an ox that has hurt other people and yet he doesn't do anything about it, freedom requires us to, uh, to, to suffer the consequences of our choices. It also calls on us, when you look at this passage, to respect the rights of others. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's the fact that other people have the same rights that we do. They too are made in the imago Dei, the image of God. It means that we do our best to meet our needs. It's not the government's job to feed you. It's not the government's job to educate you. It's not the government's job to take care of your family. It is your job. The Bible says very clearly, if any man will not provide for his own, he is worse than an infidel and has denied the truth or denied the faith. And yet today we think that if there's anything that goes wrong in our life, the government ought to step in and fix it. We think if there's anything that holds us back, anything that 
we might feel inadequate in. It's the government to make sure that everything is made right and everything is equal. And nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that the government is to give us an equal outcome. Now, I believe in equal opportunity, regardless of your gender, regardless of your race, whatever it might be, there ought to be equal opportunities under the law. But equal outcome is a different matter. And so if you choose to be lazy, suffer the consequences. If you choose to waste your life on drugs and alcohol, you're going to suffer the consequences. It doesn't mean that we as the people of God can't help or be merciful But we need to understand your choices matter. And if you're going to be free to do whatever your depraved nature wants, you've also got to suffer the consequences that come with it and not expect others to take care of you or to meet your needs. It means we respect and we obey laws. And it means that we protect our freedoms by participating and serving and supporting. If any Christian is called to serve in the military, do it. As Christians, when it comes time to vote, do it. When you have opportunities to run for office, do it. When you have opportunities to speak before a city council or a school board, do it. That's what we're called to do if we're going to be salt and light. We've got to be able to maintain these things. But in our country today... It's interesting. I've got a couple of warning labels. What kind of crazy people are we? Look at the next one. We don't even know what to do with hot coffee or Gorilla Glue. I don't need McDonald's to tell me, caution, coffee may be hot. And at the same time, if I spill it on myself... I don't get $3 million either. I should have been more careful. But we live in a society that doesn't want to take responsibility, doesn't want to own up to any fault. We don't want anything to be blamed upon us. Well, it just kind of happened to me. And so many things don't just happen to you. Some things do. Some things do. But most of them don't. They're made because of choices. Because we don't understand that our freedoms come with responsibility. We are the ones that have to do something with our lives. And we are the ones that have to make good decisions. Someone said that government is best which governs least. Because people discipline themselves. Boy, that is so, so very true. And that's something that we have lost. Ronald Reagan said, With freedom comes responsibility. A responsibility that can only be met by the individual. And we think that everybody else is responsible for us. The government is responsible for us. And we don't want to have to pay the price for anything that we do. And life just doesn't work that way, folks. Particularly, I'm speaking to those of you who are younger. Life doesn't work that way. People aren't going to bail you out. And if they do, then you're always going to feel guilty about that. And you'll never be everything that you are able to do. 
You can't just sit around and make everything equal and nobody offended, nobody hurt, and everybody, that's called communism, socialism, political correctness, and nothing ever good comes out of any of those things. But I want to end by saying there is one, though, who made an exception to all of this. When you were born, you were born with a sin nature. And you were enslaved to that sin. And all through life, whatever you do, it always has the stink of sin on it. It always has the tinge of, of uh, somebody said, if all sin were, if, if sin were blue, then everything in our life would be some shade of blue. Some darker than others, but nevertheless all tainted. And the Bible says something interesting about this because where this doesn't work in everyday life it does work in the spiritual realm Galatians chapter 4 verse 3 in the same way we also when we were children were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world sin but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Somebody say amen to that. Crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. While in everyday life, freedom requires responsibility, here's the bad news. As a human being, you have no capacity to set yourself free from sin. But oh, praise his name. The Lord Jesus Christ saw you as a slave and he took the responsibility to come to earth, to be born of a woman, to live under the law, to fulfill all of that law so that he could die on the cross and he could suffer the wrath of God in your place so that you, when you confess him as Lord and repent of your sins, you are no longer a slave, but you are free in Jesus Christ. Praise his holy name. If you haven't trusted him today, will you? If you have trusted him, are you living in the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ? And as you live in the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ, are you impacting the society in which you live as salt and light? Are you influencing other people? Even the purpose for us gathering here today is more than worship. It is to provoke one another, stir up one another to love and good deeds. Everybody around you, everybody in the church today, when we leave here today, we ought to, because of your presence and because of your input into our lives, be more motivated to love Jesus and to be the kind of people that we ought to be. And as we do that, we stand up for Christ. And we proclaim to everybody, there is a God and you are accountable. Human life is different because we're not the products of 
evolution and random chance, but made in the image of God. And our rights are not given to us by the government. We don't bow before the government and worship them. They come from God and the government should recognize that. And we understand that freedom has responsibility and we are more than willing to stand up and be responsible followers of Christ in the great and wonderful land that God has given us. So go forth and be a blessing to the world. Go forth and speak the truth, but do it in love. And go forth and live your life in an honorable way so that others can see Jesus in you. And go forth and live a life of worship because God has taken responsibility for your freedom by sending his son to die on the cross, pay for your sins, be raised from the dead, and one day we will all stand before him, either as Savior or as judge. Are you ready for that day? Let's pray together. Father, as we think about what you taught ancient Israel, those principles are still the same. And we're asking you, Father, to let us live by those principles and let us also be a force for good, for your name, and for what's right for the benefit of other people in our own nation. Oh God, forgive our country. Use us to call America to repentance. Open our eyes. And Lord, the song says, God bless America. We don't deserve your blessings. We deserve your wrath. So I change it to say, oh God, have mercy on America. Have mercy on us. And open doors for us to proclaim your truth. Draw people unto yourself. And we pray all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.